Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one just page of Talmud a day. And today's page, Sutta 6, it's not an easy one. It's chock full of the intersections of family, passion, violence, and, well, justice, raising questions too complex to unpack in a mere six or eight or ten minutes. At the core of this page, however, is process, because the matters this tractate raises are so difficult, so intimate, questions of marriage and infidelity, the rabbis are adamant that we pay very close attention to the intricacies of the judicial procedures and not let our emotions run high. And so, in this spirit, I'd like to share with you a truly remarkable story. We ran on the Unorthodox podcast a while back. It's an interview with a woman named Ruth Markell, which I think hits on many of the themes discussed in today's Duff. Have a listen. Ruth Markell is our Jew of the Week. Her son, Dan Markell, was an attorney and a law professor in Florida who was murdered in 2014. You may have heard about her case on the popular true crime podcast, Over My Dead Body, which is really quite terrific. I've listened to every second of it. The first season of the show told the story of Dan Markell and Wendy Adelson's marriage, their acrimonious divorce and custody battle, and Markell's subsequent murder. Evidence ultimately emerged that allegedly linked Wendy's family to the convicted hitmen. Dan's mother, Ruth Markell, became deeply involved with the case and as an advocate for grandparent visitation rights, which she details in her book, The Unveiling, A Mother's Reflection on Murder, Grief, and Trial Life. We had the great privilege of talking with Ruth Markell. Ruth Markell, welcome to Unorthodox. I am so excited to be here. I have to say that um, I had friends who went to law school with your son, Dan, and I had heard talk of him even before this tragedy happened and people would talk about what a great guy he was and, and what a bright guy he was and what it meant. So it was shocking to me when I when I put two and two together and realized that this was the Dan Markell who might who might heard about. But but most people in our audience, of course, haven't heard about him. So can you just tell everyone you know who, who your son was and what happened? Sure, I'd love to tell you. So Dan Markell became known as the slain professor in Florida. Dan, unfortunately, was shot on July 18th in 2014, and he died on July 19th in 2014. This is a murder. This is even a Jewish murder. He ended up more observant than the family he came from. What was his Jewish life and identity like, and, and, and how was it formed? We had a strong Jewish identity. We were a traditional Jewish family. Truthfully, not observant, uh, but he went to a school. It wasn't orthodox in any way, but it was certainly very respectful. So he had that real leaning in and he liked it. And the truth is this school provided the knowledge, right? So he, you know, some people have the knowledge, they don't have the feeling, but he had both. And I think that was what made him so much really interested in, in Judaism. And no matter where he went, he sought out the Jewish experience, either through Chabad, Hillel, or just joining some synagogues, you know, where they had, you know, let's call it conservadox orientations to it. I want to get into his his marriage a little bit, which you're so candid about in the book. And I was curious, obviously, he had this very bitter divorce and there were custody issues. And one of the things you talk so much about is the tension over how to raise the children Jewishly. And he ended up meeting on J-Date, right? Isn't that how he and Wendy met? That is correct. And yet he ended up in this marriage where they had very different ideas about how to raise the children Jewishly as you saw it. And I was curious, is that something he knew 
from the start? Or is that a tension that revealed itself once they had a child? No, actually, there was a lot of agreement between Dan and Wendy in terms of when they first met. Danny was very much into going to all these Shabbatons, uh, running around to any place that was a Friday night service. And it was pretty much Dan running to synagogue on Saturday mornings and observing more the holidays. Like, let's say he would not work initially on Sukkot and things of that nature. But it was it was fairly easy. And they did decide Now, this was the whole point. They decided they would bring up the children kosher. This is where the conflict starts a little bit later. So when Wendy and Dan had daycare experiences, Wendy also initially brought, let's say, uh, tofu hot dogs, falafel, different things. It was Donna when she was there on long visits. Your daughter-in-law's mother, yeah. Right, correct. And she told the school, straightforward, just give the kids the regular hot dogs. So we start to see this disruption And then in addition to that, they were visiting very frequently. And let's say the kids finished a soccer practice. They took them to McDonald's for cheeseburgers. This was already a real violation because now the kids, whenever they finish soccer, they wanted to get cheeseburgers. And Danny caught on. So that was really an issue. By that time, you know, the children were already involved in the disruption. This story has these two unique horrors, one of just the the brutality of of the murder itself and then to this, this really personal side of how it happened, your son's ex-brother-in-law is currently on trial for allegedly being the mastermind behind this, this murder for hire. And there are a few people in prison for their role in carrying this out. I mean, how do you deal with this? That's the hard part. That, that's if you want to look at it, not in anger, but as in disgust. I, I guess maybe it depends what term or what description you use. My harshest feeling is really disgust. I want to back up a little bit because I think it's, it's important just for me to explain to you the grief process before we get to the crime. And I think that it's very important because we don't talk about grief enough. The founder of MAD, Mothers Against Strong Driver, her name is Carolyn Leitner, and her interpretation of grief goes, grief comes in three stages, the beginning, the middle, and the rest of your life. And this is really important to understand the depth and the feeling that none of this is going away. And and that's really a strong message that I want to get to the audience. And one of the reasons I wrote the book. So the unveiling, the title of the book relates to, as many of us know, the Jewish custom of actually, you know, having a tombstone placed on the grave site. And when the tombstone is placed on the gravesite, there's an inscription on the tombstone. But the actual service or ceremony or ritual is to lift the curtain and see what's written there when the whole community is gathered around for the service. So the book has two parts to it. One is to really describe my grief journey starts at the unveiling. Okay, and this is a really important point, the depth of the grief, the real stuff. And the second is really what you just started to talk about, which is to lift the curtain, lift the fabric and show the world what is it like to have a victim experience? What is it like to go through investigations, to go through hearings, to go through trials, to go through seeing the perpetrators, the offenders in the room when you walk in? And then, of course, what you just raised, which is as we're getting closer to it, that's a murder for hire and possibly, allegedly, maybe have some machatonim involved 
or Wendy's family. So this is this is trauma at its best. It's like a horror movie, right? I mean, the people you think are mishpocha, it turns out maybe are the exact opposite. I'm curious, you, you talk about how it's going to be not just that the grief is there the rest of your life, but also you being hauled into courtrooms to talk to juries who have to decide on the penalty phase of a trial and the victim statements. And of course, answering media requests like ours. And obviously you want to get the word out. You do want to talk, but God willing, you have a lot of years left. Do you feel like the point will come or are you nearing a point where you want to say like, Gnook, I don't want to set foot inside a courtroom. I don't want to talk to the media. I want to go swimming and read to my grandchildren and like enough? Is that is there part of you that says that you will spend down your ability to want to do this? I, I think that would be a dream. I, I would love to, what I have to do, how I deal with it, I would love to say enough is enough, but here we are going now April 24th to more trials, uh, starting now with Charlie Addison, who is now the first family member to allegedly have participated in the crime. And that's your ex-daughter-in-law's brother. Brother, right. So even if I would like to say enough is enough, we haven't experienced enough is enough or even possibly can't think that way. But I do think is I create any opportunities I have for myself as distractions. How do you cope is really the other issue when you know it's long-term and so forth. And I think that's the way I have to look at it. And one of the ways you would cope as as a grandma is spending time with your grandchildren. And one of the plots of your book is that you are not being allowed to see Daniel's two boys as much as you would like, if at all. Can you talk a little bit about the grandparental, what you call grandparental alienation piece of it? Yes, that's critical. So the first two years after the murder, 2014 to 2016, I was able to see the children. After the arrests, everything changed. And one of the things that changed was we had limits put on us on the grandchildren visitation. The bottom line, we were cut off from seeing the kids for six years. This was another trauma. This was just as hard for me, truthfully, the loss because the children are alive. So you ask about anger or whatever. Now I'm sitting in a situation where I have living grandchildren in addition to the loss of Dan, who was murdered. And that became like, really wears you down. We tried through our lawyers to get in touch with Wendy's lawyer to see what we can do and nothing happened. So, so then our lawyer, Matt Benjamin from New York said, Ruth, you're going to have to write a bill, a bill for grandchildren. I'm sitting in Toronto. This, the Florida law is so restrictive, but you're going to have to get a bill to resolve it. And people told me I'm going to need lobbyists. I was very fortunate. I met a young woman. Her name is Karen um, Halpern Cyphers. And she said, what can I do for you? And I said, grandparent alienation. And I was just so fortunate. It was, this is muzzle luck. And we passed a law in 2022, which has been a good year for us. It's called the Markel Act. It's a bill that allows when one spouse is dead, and the other spouse, an ex-spouse, is considered criminally or civilly, has findings against them. And he's charged or convicted that the grandparents have the right to go before the court and to see the children. And this provides a lot of protection to other grandparents as well. So since, so there's some little good news here, as the bill was passed in February and March of 2022, Wendy contacted us. There was a bar mitzvah coming up for Benjamin. We got invited to a bar mitzvah. We were so excited, the whole family, Shelley's included. And then I said to her in you know, emails a little bit back and forth, look, the kids haven't seen us for six years. 
can I take them for ice cream on, on the on the 13th? And then she wrote us back, well, if you want an in-person visit, come in April. And we did. Now, Phil and I went down. This is April 20th. The uh, state attorney knew we were there and all the others. We'd come back on the plane to get the plane in the evening. And April 20th is the visit. April 21st, 6 a.m., I get a call from the FBI. Charlie's arrested. So all in 24 hours, this great, significant, two big events, the grandchildren and the arrest. And then three days later, she disinvited us to the bar mitzvah. But this was the process she said wasn't safe. But you did see the grandkids. I did see the grandkids. and I After also six just, years. After six years. And I just saw them again, December 10th. Is there anything you wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about yet that I can prompt you to talk about? Yes. So I talked before about grief. And one of the things that I want to invite other people who have losses in your audience, which there are many, that how do you move a little bit from grief forward? I don't mean move on. You do have to find some meaning in your life. Otherwise, you'll be stuck. And I think that, you know, we all know what post-traumatic stress is. I'm really now an advocate of post-traumatic growth and post-traumatic change. And now that I was successful with the grandparent alienation stuff, I'm moving on to the victim experience because nobody is talking about the victim in law. And my new thing, I just had the privilege of talking in Miami to all of the therapists and psychologists who worked with the Parkland families, and they just lost the death penalty. And so this is the place where my new messaging is, if anybody's working with somebody from trauma, from murder, you have to work with the criminal system as well. So the message for people who are working in therapy and trauma and healing have to understand where is that person in the criminal system? Because what happened to those families, and rightly so, after the death penalty, any intervention that they made, it went down the drain because they're re-traumatized. Thank you so much for being our Jew of the Week. I just have to say, you must miss your son so much. Yes, this is a very hard, very hard, hard uh, dilemma, package, uh, story, personal trauma It is. It is. But I thank you really for doing this. You know, like I said, there is still opportunities to not get stuck. And I think that's my my most important message is there is still hope to not so much recover, but there is still really a lot of opportunity to do very positive things in your life. Ruth, I certainly see talking to you a a, a great story of Jewish tragedy, but also listening to your story and and seeing your compassion and your courage uh, and your tenacity a story of the best embodiment of everything that is beautiful and eternal about being Jewish, which is standing up for justice, no matter the consequences in every day, choosing life. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Ruth Markell's book is The Unveiling, and the podcast about Dan Markell's murder is Over My Dead Body, season one. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, please go and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts and get your Take One 
t-shirts, and mugs at tabletstudios.com. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Rusquet, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnik, Josh Cross, Robert Scaramucci, Courtney Hazlett, Mark Oppenheimer, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash take one. Subscribe to our newsletter at tabletm.ag slash take one newsletter or email us at take one at tabletmag.com. You can find us on Twitter at take one dafyomi or join our Facebook group by searching for take one podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic. Thank you.